Just one other announcement. Uh, T will be speaking at the Leichhardt Bolo uh, on Thursday evening. Uh, another talk on the, uh, um, uh, the voice, and uh, she would love you to be there. The details are on the wonderful pink sign at the back, uh, or you could talk to T after the service. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we would see Jesus. Please help us to see Jesus. Amen. One of the greatest challenges we face when reading the Bible is to not read into it what we want it to say. We want to see what God wants to say to us not what we want him to say to us. Uh, another challenge is to not just look at the surface, look for the obvious message of God, but to take time to see if there's more. Uh, our second reading today shows us some things about Jesus' character, purpose and power, and we should take note of them. Uh, we see two miracles, both as responses to faith, and we should note the nature and value and effect of faith. But, but what's the main point in that second reading? Mark has carefully constructed this passage to make a point. So the question for us is, well, what is it? Uh, and I don't think it's easy. The answer comes from thinking about why Mark splits the two stories. Why didn't he just complete the story of Jairus and his daughter and then tell the story of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years? I mean, that would be the logical thing. They're two separate stories. Tell them one after the other. But before we get there, I want to give this woman a name. The synagogue leader is called Jairus, but not the woman or the daughter. And I think there's a reason for that. And that actually helps us believe this story more. But I don't want to spend the next 20 minutes referring to this woman by reference to her medical condition. Uh, in commentaries, she's referred to as the sick woman, the hemorrhaging woman, the woman who was bleeding, the woman with uncontrolled menstruation. But this woman was a person. And she had a name. I, I thought of giving her a name, uh, but that might confuse people who switch off for a moment and wonder why I'm referring to her by a given name that's not mentioned in the Bible. So I'm going to call her by what Jesus sees in her. I'm going to refer to her as the woman of faith. And I hope she is happy with that name. But why is it helpful for Jairus to be given his name and, and not this woman? For me, it points to the authenticity of this story. We think Mark got many of these stories from the Apostle Peter. Uh, Peter lived on the same side of the Sea of Galilee as Jairus did. Uh, as a leader of a synagogue, you could expect Paul to know Jairus, to know his name. But Peter didn't know the name of his daughter, uh, or the woman of faith. A woman who had been unwell and ritually unclean for 12 years would have had to stay out of public places. 
Peter would not be expected to, to know her name. And if Mark was making up these stories, he could well have given this fictional woman a name. But the lack of a name for the woman of faith looks more authentic, as with the unnamed daughter. Now, back to why Mark might split these two stories. Uh, A few weeks ago, Alex introduced us to the idea of a Markan sandwich. Mark starts with one story, and then tells another story, and then returns to to end the first story. The reading today is a classic Markan sandwich. It starts with the story of Jairus, then we meet the woman of faith, and then we return to the story of Jairus and his daughter. Both stories are wonderful and teach us about Jesus and his kingdom and our understanding of his power grows. Both deserve a place in a biography of Jesus. So why does Mark split them like this? The story of Jairus and his daughter are the two pieces of bread and the story of the faithful woman is the filling. As Alex explained, the theory is that Mark uses this technique to say the filling Something in them uh, about the, the story of the woman of faith is the main point of this story. It's a way of focusing us in on, upon her. And that might be a bit surprising, uh, as we may think that Jesus' ability to raise someone from death is pretty important. Uh, it is, but apparently not as important as what we see in the story of this faithful woman. And I find that fascinating and glorious and a bit uncomfortable. And I'll explain that at the end. First to the story of Jairus and his daughter. Jesus has been crisscrossing the Sea of Galilee and now he finds himself again on the western side where he spent most of his time. We meet a synagogue leader. He probably wasn't a priest, uh, but a respected elder who would have organised the services and taken part in them. It appears Jairus already knew the reputation of Jesus as a healer and asked him for his help. He says, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. The prospect of a child dying is a terrible thing for a parent to experience. The night before I wrote this sermon, I had a nightmare. Carlin and I were minding Archie, our grandson, who's running around at the back at the moment. Uh, He was a bit older than he is now, perhaps four, you can do that in dreams. Um, And he was catching a bus to our place. We saw the bus coming towards us, and we could make out Archie at the window, but the bus didn't stop and zoom past. We had no way to follow him and my phone wasn't working. That sort of thing happens in that type of dream. And then it started to rain and what were we going to do? And I was terribly afraid that something was going to happen to him, something bad. And I woke up in a sweat. And that was just a dream. Just imagine how Jairus and his wife were feeling. And we're told, so Jairus... So Jairus went with him. Uh, Our hopes and expectations are raised, so 
Far in this gospel, we've seen Jesus heal people, but not save them from death, let alone bring someone back to life. Uh, Is Mark going to build our sense of the godlike power in Jesus? We see Jesus' compassion again. Jesus is not too busy for this little girl. He has compassion on Jairus, his daughter, his family, uh, the members of the synagogue, and, and probably many in the village. And then Mark stops. He breaks the story. He gives us no hint how the story of Jairus' daughter will turn out. We're told... This clicker is not working very well. Could you just lean back? No, it's just going all over. Well, there we are. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years... And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. There are links between the two stories. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. The faithful woman had been bleeding for 12 years. Both stories mentioned faith. But that doesn't explain the split. The Bible is not specific about the woman's ailment, but based on the Greek wording, it's generally thought to be uh, menorrhagia, a heavy or prolonged menstrual bleeding, often caused by issues such as uterine cysts. The woman's position was tragic. Bleeding for 12 years. She would probably have had low iron, which has a number of other negative effects on health. Obviously, her condition was known, as Mark mentions it, so she would have had the embarrassment of that. She would have been ritually unclean. The law of Moses said in Leviticus 15, when a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. So no one could touch her and she could not go to synagogue or easily go to the market. No one would have given her a hug for 12 years. And anything she used or touched would be unclean. So everyone would just have to avoid her. The doctors didn't know how to treat her. She suffered through their ineffective treatments and and the cost. She had exhausted her finances. And it also seemed she was alone. Other people who needed healing had friends to get Jesus' attention. Couldn't she ask a friend to ask Jesus to come to her discreetly to to save her the embarrassment, to save Jesus the embarrassment? But this woman of faith was left to her own devices. She was left to her faith, her, her faith alone. It was a faith that was expressed through simply touching Jesus' cloak. This is not some primitive piety or superstition. It's a genuine act of faith. We're told she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Not, I hope I'll be healed, but I will be healed. And that is trust. But I think we also see more than what she thought of Jesus. She did not want to take up his time He had other people to see. see. She did not want to embarrass a man with her condition. 
His power was enough without engaging his attention and compassion. And we're told immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And can you imagine her relief? To feel well again after 12 years. I mean, I know what it's like after you've had the flu or something like that. You know, a couple of weeks and you feel absolutely awful and then, you know, life feels like living again. Well, just imagine if you'd been like that for 12 years. Uh, To be acceptable back in community, to not face the disappointment and costs of doctors. Uh, This is as much liberation as healing. And I do want to notice that word that we've seen a number of times in Mark's Gospel so far, immediately. Not over the next few days or weeks, instantly. Instantly blood vessels closed and the woman of faith regained her strength. And just as instantly, Jesus realised that power had gone out of him. It's as if the faith of the woman had given her direct access to Jesus' divine power, which appears to be a power that is there for those who trust him. Jesus is not closed off, he's not a closed book, but available to those who need him through trust. Jesus said, who touched my clothes? His disciples thought it was an odd question because uh, the crowd was jostling him. But why do you think Jesus asked? Uh, If he knew someone had deliberately touched his cloak, Uh, to get access to his power, surely he would have known who did it. Perhaps he asked to convey the idea he knew someone of faith had touched him to draw on his healing power. And that's quite possible. But I want to suggest we should listen to Jesus. We're told the woman came forward to own up for what she had done. She overcame her embarrassment to reveal herself to Jesus. And we read... Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And presumably, this is how we know that she had been bleeding for 12 years. She had to lay it out for everyone to hear. Uh, that she had exhausted herself physically and financially and, in trust and desperation, had reached out to Jesus. Not to touch him. She wouldn't do that, but simply to touch his cloak. And these are the words we should particularly notice. Sorry, it's just going all over the place. Sorry. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter. Jesus asked who had touched him, not just because he wanted to show what truth, or what true faith looked like, but because he wanted to praise this woman of faith. That she had been healed. She had received Jesus' blessing. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. But he'd also received, she'd also received vindication and praise. He calls this woman daughter. Jesus welcomes her into his family. 
Will he do the same for Jairus? And just as quickly as this story is resolved, Mark switches back to the increasingly desperate situation of Jairus and his daughter. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came to the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? And Jesus does not say, well, that's the way things go. Plenty more work to do. Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Why, why would Jairus be afraid? His daughter has died. His fears have been realised. He may not want to see her or to share the sad news with others. He may not want to have to contemplate the funeral. But in a sense, the time for fear is over. Now it's the time to grieve. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Believe like the woman of faith believed. Go all in with Jesus. Trust him. And so they went to Jairus' home and Jesus said, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But people then, as now, know what a dead person looks like. They know what death looks like. So they laughed because Jesus had said such a foolish thing. The daughter was dead. And you know what happened next? You know what happened next. Jesus and the girl's parents and a few disciples went in and Jesus spoke those kind, life-giving words, Talitha kum. And immediately the good girl stood up and began to walk around. And those there were completely astonished, as they should be as we would be. And so we have two stories of Jesus' compassion and his divine ability to heal. Both are in response to faith. And given the emphasis we see elsewhere on the resurrection and Jesus defeating death, we may think that was the main point of the story. We usually leave the main point to last and the raising of the girl from death comes last But remember, we're looking at a Markham sandwich. Let's go back to the woman of faith. So what is it about this story of the faithful woman that is just so important? I'll give you a hint. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Mark's Gospel is not a book about religion. It's not primarily about what we are to do. Both Jairus and the faithful woman show great faith in Jesus, which we should do. But what is it about the story of the faithful woman? It could be something about her faith. That it was bold. That she didn't need to be told to believe. She was already doing that. And it might be that. And it would be good if we ask God to give us faith like this woman, that we don't have to be told. And we look for faith that takes us away from our comfort zones, a faith where we go all in, where we put everything on the line, as this woman did. And I think there's something in that for us. But I think there is something special about the situation of this woman of faith that should teach, inspire, and challenge us. Jairus was desperate. 
But he was a synagogue leader, a man, a man with a position. He had family and friends. He had a respected position in the community. He could go to synagogue. He could go to temple. He probably had other children. He was an insider. But the woman of faith was not. She was a woman, a bleeding woman, an embarrassment to herself and to those who knew her. She was unclean. She'd been unclean for 12 years. She could be expected to be unclean for the rest of her life, however long that was, and it probably wasn't going to be long with a condition like that and with growing poverty. And that, I suggest, is what matters to Jesus. Jesus came to save everyone who will accept his offer of faith, hope, love and new life. But God wants us to know, through Mark and this Gospel, that awkward outsiders are welcome in his kingdom. That's where faith will get you, from the outside into Jesus' family, daughter, Many Christians and churches have known that over the centuries. We saw that in the Beatitudes, which we read earlier in the service. That's what faith looks like. And that is where it will get you. Wherever you are, if you're on the outside, if you feel you're not part of this world, if you just feel awkward or it's for others or whatever it is, this story is there for you saying, no, you can come onto the inside. You can be a child of God. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we see what you can do. We see what faith can do. Please drive away the things that would stop us having faith like the woman of faith, so that we may all take our places in your kingdom, insider and outsider alike. Amen. Well, please stand and join us as we rejoice in our King Jesus.